Hey, Prime members, you can listen to Ion Travel with Peter Greenberg, that's me, ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the app today. This spring, if you'd rather spend time enjoying your lawn instead of trying to keep it alive, there's good news. True Green is the easiest and most affordable way to get a beautiful lawn. All you have to do is water and mow, and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and even some things you might not even think of. They'll do all of it, while you can do literally anything else. With True Green, you can have your lawn looking as good as a putting green. That's not hyperbole. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour. True Green offers a satisfaction guarantee, and they have a verified best price promise, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people guaranteed. This episode is brought in part to you by Audible, your go-to destination for thrilling audio entertainment. Whether you're looking for a hair-raising experience to enjoy while you're on the move or eager to dive into sinister and shocking tales, Audible has an exclusive collection of thrillers from best-selling authors that will keep you on the edge of your seat. Like James Patterson's first audio-only thriller, The Coldest Case. Experience stories like never before, where every chilling detail is brought to life by captivating sound design. Plus, as an Audible member, choose one title a month to make yours forever. And now, new members can try Audible free for 30 days. Just visit audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. That's audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. This episode of Travel Today with Peter Greenberg is brought to you by audible.com, a leading provider of spoken audio information and entertainment. Listen to audiobooks whenever and wherever you want. Sign up today at www.audiblepodcast.com slash travel today to get a free audiobook and 30-day trial. It's time for Peter Greenberg Worldwide with America's number one travel news journalist. And now, the man who travels over 400,000 miles each year, your travel detective, Peter Greenberg. Hi everybody, Peter Greenberg here and welcome to the podcast that's done from a different location around the world every single week. One day Canada, the next day Thailand, then New York, London, you just never know. This week we come to you from the Ritz-Carlton in the Cayman Islands for their annual, their ninth annual Cayman Cookout. And one of the uh, the conspirers of that is going to be on the show in just a bit, the legendary chef Eric Repair, three-star Michelin Eric Repair. But uh, as I do every week at this time, I encourage you to go to our website, petergreenberg.com, for our comprehensive list of all the aid and relief uh, organizations doing all that hard and essential work all around the world, giving you an opportunity to give back every time you travel. Uh, And whether you're the butcher, the baker, the candlestick maker, there's something there for you to do and to have an amazing, immersive experience. And what you get back from what you give back, I guarantee you, is exponential in return. We always like to localize the volunteerism opportunities in the Cayman Islands, no exception. Check out the Cayman Heart Fund. They're dedicated to educating the public and influencing policy and supporting access to high quality healthcare and don't we all need that. Uh, Opportunities for you to volunteer when you're in the Cayman Islands. Uh, You can do it a lot uh, just for adults, but but, but for their events and for their their organized activities and an opportunity, of course, for you to immerse yourself with all the locals and to hang out with the people who know the islands the best. It's a win-win for everybody, and if you want more information, just go right to their website, caymanheartfund.com. Give yourself a couple of hours when you come down to the resort, get off the resort, and go help out. You will be totally glad that you did. And now, as per my promise, Eric Repair, one of the conspirators of this, of this event, the ninth annual. Yes, already. Amazing. It went fast. It went fast. Well, you know, everybody has a cooking program these days. Everybody has an event. There's the South Beach Food and Wine Festival. There's the, the, there's not a city in America that doesn't have the taste of Cleveland or the taste of Miami, I mean, right? It's, and yes. and it, it involves all the chefs, and it's always a good thing. Um, a lot of the stuff gets benefiting to charities as well. What's special about this particular event? Well, we are in January. Uh, it's cold in America. <laughs> <laughs> and and it's a good idea to be in Cayman and to celebrate on the beach. But we created this festival um, to bring chefs here and to have people 
traveling from all over the world. Uh, and I might say, I might, I might also say, this event is sell, sold out. It's sold out yeah. every year. It, it, it sells very quickly. Well, they have some like unknowns like Anthony Bourdain and Emeril Lagasse and, and uh, Jose, Andres. Jose Andres, right? Of course. Uh, 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 and this guy named Eric Repair is over here. So. And, and, and many more yeah. that are coming. From, uh, uh, we have Ro Roland Passo from San Francisco. We have uh, Tim Love from Texas. We have a, lo a lot of chefs, Terence Brennan from, from New of York. Of course, yeah. Um, uh, Christina Tozzi, who's a pastry chef, and, and many others are, are coming. And I think what people like about the festival is the intimacy and also the location. We are on the beach. We, everybody is in flip-flops or, or barefoot. It's uh, casual and comfortable. Absolutely, and elegant. And uh, some festivals, in my opinion, and, uh, are too big. And South Beach is big. I don't want to say c any CD or anything like that, but when you have 50,000 people or 100,000 people passing by the festival in two days, I think it's, it's enormous. Well, it's Here, also tough to maintain the quality. Of course. Yeah. Here, it's about... Five, 500 people maximum in one event, and, and most of the events are, are crafted to be f this 400 people or something like that. So you have this real interaction, real um, intimacy with the chef. The, f the chef has fun uh, as well, which is very important. You, you, you don't go to a festival just to showcase your product. Um, it's a lifestyle, and uh, I think Cayman Island is doing that very well. Well, and also, when you, when you have those numbers and they're not that large, it allows you to have a conversation. For sure. Yes, conversation, um, you can ask questions, you can um, have a drink with the chefs. Uh, you can or two. Or, do, or two, you can <laughs> party, which is part of the program. <laughs> but you're also expected, I would think, to when you say showcase your product, to tell people about things that they didn't know, For sure. to expose them to dishes that they never otherwise would have tried. Absolutely. So what's on your menu for this? Well, for instance, lionfish. Very few people know what, what are lionfish. That includes me, so tell me. So a lionfish, it, it has been um, decimating a lot of the population of other species in the Caribbean. They have been imported from Asia and they kill uh, groupers and snappers and many, many others. And, and therefore, um, it's a real effort to hunt the lionfish that reproduce very quickly uh, in the Caribbean and especially in the Cayman Islands. And you can eat them. And you can eat them. Actually, Jose Andres yesterday went scuba diving, caught some, and he cooked his own lunch <laughs> <laughs> and ate it on the beach. Um, and I, I, so something like that, it, it's very informative, of course. And all the chefs give you ideas uh, if you get lionfish, or if not, you can apply it with another, another fish, of course, but give you ideas of what to do with it. Well, you actually have to have some local input on that just to figure out, I don't think you've ever cooked lionfish in New York yet, right? Um, I have because I bring them from the Caribbean. <laughs> right, but, but you had <laughs> to learn. But you had to learn first of all what you what you could do with them and what you couldn't. Exactly. So what makes what what are the challenges of cooking a lionfish? The challenge is to make the, the the flesh is very delicate. The flavor is very delicate as well, which means it's very 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 easy to overpower overcook the, 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 the yeah. overcook and overpower the qualities of the fish. So you have to be very cautious um, and. It's not very difficult, but you don't want to put too many ingredients in, in a plate uh, to elevate Which the brings me to an interesting point, I think. So many chefs these days, in trying to do one-upsmanship, are putting so much into the, into the dish that they kill the dish. It, it's infused with this, and it's got this, and it's got this. How about simple? Yes. To cook simple, it's not easy. It's the most difficult exercise. Uh, and because? Because you have no safety net. If, if the main... Uh, ingredient uh, is sabotaged or is not cooked properly, well, it's nothing to save it. But if you have 20 ingredients, you may have an illusion of having something more or less acceptable. Well, you know, you talk about a safety net. I'm one of those people who believes in general that the words airline food are an oxymoron, right? That, <laughs> that, uh, because of the challenges of creating a dish that has to exist, survive, and still taste good at 35,000 feet. And for years, airlines would go and get celebrity chefs to design their menus, which the airlines could then never deliver. Um, you know, you can't do a souffle at 40,000, or you can now a little bit, but in those days you couldn't. You didn't have the right ovens, you didn't have it. Or you'd get a dish that was covered with so much sauce. Talk about a safety net. <laughs> the the, the, the yes. safety net was killing the dish. 
and you and you eat that dish on the plane and you wear it i mean you you walk off the plane feeling so heavy and and the reason why they were covering it with so much sauce is because the moisture content of the dish you couldn't maintain it when you were reheating it by definition yeah now, have you ever been approached by the airlines to do a dish? Yes, many times. And have you done it? Not. <laughs> <laughs> because it's My a, point, it's, exactly. It's mission impos impossible. And I'm not going to uh, put my name behind mediocre food uh, just to get some miles or free tickets or money or anything like that. I'm not going to compromise uh, the product. You know, it's interesting. Uh, some of the airlines, some of the Gulf carriers now, uh, Etihad and Emirates, they have chefs on board. Yes, and their food is pretty good when you fly on the front of the plane. Yes, yes. And I was on a flight. You're going to laugh. Because um, a lot of their planes, when they're flying back to the U.S., leave at like 1 in the morning, 2 in the morning. I don't want to eat. I want to go to sleep. But here's the chef, you know, and, and, and they even have a nanny right? I'm by myself. And they come to me and they said, well, what would you like to eat? I go, I don't, I just like to go to sleep. Well, what can we make for you? I said, well, let's wait till breakfast because I'm really, I'm going to go, well, can't we get anything now? I said, okay, um, and there's the nanny. And she says, what can you do? I said, nanny for me? So I said, okay, I'll tell you what. I'll take a hot chocolate and a bedtime story. <laughs> and you know what? I got it. No. Yes, I did. Winnie the Pooh. But wait. Winnie the Pooh. Winnie the Pooh. But now. So you fly first, cl first class on, on that, Emirates. On Emirates I did, yeah. Mm. Yeah. That was actually on Etihad when that happened. But, but here's the interesting story. Now it's time for breakfast. Now normally on airlines, and you fly as much as I do, I mean, Breakfast is terrible because the eggs have been sitting there overnight. They're hard. They're dry. There's no moisture involved. There's, it's like, right? So I'm, I'm expecting the worst. And the chef comes, what would you like for breakfast? I said, here it comes. I said, okay, uh, can I have some eggs? And he said, uh, how would you like them? I went, how would I like them? Nobody's ever asked me that on an airplane, right? I said, uh, how about sunny side up? He said, great. What would you like with them? I said, what do you mean? He said, I said, what do you have? He said, no, what do you want? I said, uh, do you have any mushrooms? He said, yes. What kind? Went, what kind? We're in an airplane. And and it was unbelievable. I actually got a great breakfast on an airplane because it was cooked to order. But nine and a half times out of ten, as you say, it is mission impossible. It's mission impossible, yes. So if I ever get on a plane, you're telling me now, if I ever get on a plane that says menu by Eric Appare, I should run. <laughs> Toto, I have a feeling we're not in Kansas anymore. Cookout organized over nine years ago. This is the ninth anniversary, and we've been speaking with Eric Repair, the legendary Eric Repair. The don't fly and eat his food yet, Eric Repair, because he's not doing it yet. Uh, but in the in the nine years that this has been going on, um, you know, a lot of the food festivals or cookouts, or whoever you want to call them, uh, I used to see them all the time, where people would come into a, a demonstration kitchen, and you and you'd watch the chef. Right, mm -hmm. but you never got a chance to interact, or you never got a chance to cook. Are you changing that a little bit? Yes, when you have Jose Andres starting um, the first class of the festival uh, on at ten o'clock in the morning, uh, he does a paella class, and it everybody's around. How big him. is that bowl? It's huge, <laughs> and everybody's around him. It's not like you're not sitting like in a theater. You're not looking at a mirror, right? And now. it's a lot of inter interaction with whoever is brave enough to go um, help Jose in, in, in the process of his paella. Right. And, and they get involved. They get involved and people love that. Um, and what are you cooking? I'm not giving a, a cooking class. Right. Uh, I'm doing a couple of dinners. Uh, I'm doing a gig with Anthony Bourdain, ah. where uh, I'm always very challenged by how mean he is uh, to me. Uh, really? But it's highly entertaining. Um, he makes fun of you. He tries to make fun of me. I get him back. That's for sure. <laughs> and it's, and, it's, what are, and what are you going to be cooking at that dinner? Uh, for the dinner, we are doing a conch dish because it's, of course it's here. It's here and it's in season. Um, I'm doing also another dish with snapper with some local ingredients um, in another dinner. 
with so many chefs coming from different parts of the world, sure. right? They're all bringing their party to the party. You know, they're all bringing their history. For sure. Right? What you're doing something that's incorporating some Caymanian culture and history with the, with the conch. Yes. What are they going to be doing? Well, they're going to bring their savoir-faire, their knowledge, but they're going to use, most of them are going to use ingredients from Cayman or they are going to be in areas in Cayman Island that are very specific to the island. Like at one, uh, the first night, I believe we are, our feet in the water uh, and we have an event where we are grilling or, or bake, I mean like, you know, sauteing, baking in, in those stations and where people go around and the day after you have another event, which is a lunch. People go by boat to Rome Point, which is on another side uh, of the island that is beautiful. And you will again see chefs cooking in the middle of that beautiful um, surrounding. And you've got a pastry chef here. And we have a pastry chef who's amazing. And what will that happen? What's going to be part of that? Well, the pastry chef um, has a lot of work uh, during the festival and in between giving classes and creating desserts. And again, in, desserts inspired by um, the culture of the island and the West Indies and, and, and the Caribbean. Now, in the nine years you've been doing this, uh, you have a lot of repeat visitors. You have people coming back every year. Oh, yes. Right? How many of the chefs who are here this year have been here before? Well, Jose Andres, of course. Anthony Bourdain, uh, Daniel Hume uh, has asked to come back. And uh, we try to diversify, but we have a, a kind of a cycle. Every two or three years, the chefs can reapply. In a they sense. can reapply. <laughs> <laughs> and it's one of the only festivals where chefs are like begging to come almost uh, because they are fun. And, and it's great. I mean, look, we, Cayman Island is a little paradise. And you're not going to be overrun. Never. Exactly. That's for sure. Have recipe books come out? Have you done books? Uh, about the Cayman Island yeah. cook No, yeah. but it's a good idea. We should. Yeah, you should. Yes. You've been doing it now. You should do it next we year for the 10th. Oh, my God. That's it. There it is. You're part of the team. Lionfish. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Put the lionfish on the cover because nobody knows. Nobody knows. What would you say would be the most unusual dish or unusual, pres or unusual presentation for the cookout? That's going to be cooked? Yeah. At the cookout? Yeah. Usually the most unusual surprising dish comes from, from Jose Andres because he basically drives us nuts, <laughs> completely nuts, and improvise. And whatever he says today, will, he will change his mind overnight and tomorrow he's going to tell us something else. And at the end, an hour before the lunch or dinner, he's going to change his mind again. So, so what you're saying, the guys who are on the line in the kitchen go nuts? Uh, they... They, they are waiting. Well, they are, now they are waiting for... For it to go nuts. They know. They already know. They know, they, they they are, know they're going to go nuts. It's no stress. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I take some, some of the stress, I have to say. Is there a signature dish that comes out of this? Um, not really, because every chef every year does something different, of course. Yeah. But I have to say it's very iconic to go to the paella class of Jose Andres who use different ingredients every year. The paella is not necessarily only with rice. One year he made it with like um, those little noodles, like look like a little bridge. Yeah. Uh, one year he made it with uh, some cellophane noodles. I mean, he's using all kinds of ingredients. And uh, last year we had uh, a paella with squid ink that was amazing. Unbelievable. And If you are continuing on to another Southwest destination, please make sure that you check the monitors inside the terminal for your proper gate and flight information. If you are continuing on with another airline, we really don't care. I am a passenger. Guest is almost a native. She's been here since she's, what, five years old? Yes. I know. She's the editor of Cayman Compass, Vicki Wheaton. How are you? I'm fine, thanks very much. How are you? Good. So you've seen <laughs> all the changes. You've had to. Yes. Right? And, and what, what amazes me about the Cayman Islands is, you know, when I first came here, uh, I was staying at the old Hyatt, which is not here anymore, really. Um, I mean, the, the one that I remember. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, and then, you know, and that, when I was here, that was, that was the hotel. And, and now there are so many places uh, I was here when they opened this hotel many years ago for the big concert on the beach with, uh, with Cheryl Crow and 
what Tony Bennett, the whole guy. But what are the changes that you see that you like? What are the changes that you think are really uh, great for the islands and, and great for the, for the people as well as great for the visitors? Um, I think one of the great advantages um, to the expansion of the island is seeing the number of different cultures, people from different countries that have come to the island as a result of obviously the jobs that have been created through the hotels. Um, back when I was here, there were obviously a number of expats from different countries, England, Australia, the States. But in these days, we have a huge melting pot on the island. And I think it's terrific for the locals to be able to interact with people from all these different countries. It's a great way to learn about all these different countries and learn about all these different cultures. And that's what I find really, really interesting. It's We've really become a big melting pot of cultures here now. And... Everybody's here. Yes. Everybody's here. And the, the Cayman cookout here, right? Now in its ninth year, you get all the celebrity chefs showing up. The hotels sell out. I mean, great food, great experience. It's, it's a, I mean, every time I come here, somebody's having a party. Oh, yeah. There's, there's lots of stuff going on on the island all the time, it seems. I mean, January has certainly um, been listed as a culinary month now. We've got the Cayman Cookout here at the Ritz-Carlton Grand Cayman. There's Taste of Cayman happening at the end of the month as well. So after... So the, everybody's eating. So after the holiday season, getting what's into better, January... What's with, better than eating after the holiday <laughs> than eating more? After the New Year's resolutions last for about two weeks, and then we're straight into all of the culinary events. So, But, but in terms of local cuisine, right, what's special to you? Uh, uh, thankfully, this is radio, so people can't see just how big a fan of food I am. Um, I, I, I love so many local dishes. I mean, I love the, the curry dishes, um, the fresh seafood. Um, the fish market in town is wonderful, so they're getting fresh fish all the time. We're right now in lobster and conch season. I cannot get enough of marinated conch. It's absolutely delicious. And how is it marinated? Um, usually in, well, in, in lots of different ways, actually, you can do it in a citrus sauce or you can do it in a red sauce, but there's usually when it's in the Caribbean, there's usually a lot of pepper involved. There's, there's a lot a, of there's pepper. A, there's a, a kick spice. to it. There's a little kick there to it. There is. Yeah. And, and it's a very simple dish. I mean, you just slice up the conch thinly and then you marinate it and put it in this red sauce as a, with, with all of these different spices and some vegetables and chopped up onion. And then you just serve it on saltines and it's absolutely delicious. Saltines? Saltines. <laughs> It's a simple dish. Hey, don't be laughing. It's simple, but it's classy. But, you know, you talk about conch season. I've always worried that they're going to be extinct. Well, this is precisely why, of course, we have the season. There's um, only a, f a few months. There's a number of months where you can go and get conch, and there are very specific... Limits. Yes, very specific limits um, per person, per day, um, and so forth. So to try and keep that within... Good restrictions. Are you on a conch limit yourself? Um, I, I actually don't go out and get them. When I was a child down here, we used to go out on these North Sound trips, and I used to sw swim down 20 feet. This is when I, I was fit and I had prospects. I'd swim <laughs> down 20 feet, and I would pick up a conch and bring it up, and, and it was all very, you know, Blue Lagoon without the Christopher Atkins. But these days, I get somebody else to get it for me. <laughs> you delegate the conch. I do. I delegate, delegate the, the conch. conch. All right, so it's lobster and conch. What else? Um, well, I said uh, the curry dishes. I love land crab backs, and I lamb what? Land crab backs. It's like an old days Saturday Night Live land shark. <laughs> Riding along in my automobile, my baby beside me at the wheel, cruising and playing the radio, with no particular place to go. Audible.com has more than 150,000 titles and virtually every genre. So check it out for yourself. Sign up today at www.audiblepodcast.com slash travel today to get a free audiobook and 30-day trial. Everybody's showing up here, including my guest, Vicki Wheaton. No stranger to food? No. No. Unfortunately. Okay, when we last left off, the cliffhanger of all cliffhangers, it's raining and the land crabs are coming. Help me. What does that mean? Well... <laughs> 
<laughs> what it means is, and, and honestly, back in the day when there were so many more of them, when it did rain, certain districts in the island, you would drive, obviously, on the road, and the land crabs would come out, and they would be swarming all over the road. Just like conch and lobster, they, in a way, are also endangered because people, the Jamaicans, the Caymanians, love eating them so much. And it's something I grew up with, but I think people, maybe from elsewhere, would look at it and go, ugh. Just, well, when you grew ugh. up with it, would you like wait for the rain and walk down the street and just pick them up? Again, I think you have me confused with somebody who, who enjoys doing work. No, my, my brothers would get them. Uh, my brothers would get them, but what they do is they, they catch them. They go out into the bushes at night time. How, how do you catch them? Um, by, oh, you know, here's how you catch them. It's raining. <laughs> and then they all come out? No way. Right. But they, they, will, they, well, they can grab them by their backs. They've got a very, very big claw, really big claw. Are, so are these big it, crabs? They're, they're about that size. Oh, okay. She said on radio. On radio. They're about, <laughs> they're about that size. How big Imagine are they? the worst oh God, imagine the worst don't go to okay. Cayman yeah, right. massive crabs oh that sounded awful I know so um, so big crabs and uh, you get them you put them in a bucket and then you tend to feed them you feed them things uh, food to sort of fatten them up and also they tend to eat each other so this is sounding terrible as I'm going along but they yeah, really you're are right. you're absolutely right <laughs> yada 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 they're delicious <laughs> cut to good eating <laughs> wow are they still out there? Uh, they're still out there, absolutely. And you, you do. You see people at nighttime with their buckets going in. So what, what they do is it's got nothing to do with the crab claws. You know, a lot of time when people eat crab, a lot of it's to do with the crab claws, but not with the land crabs. It is the meat that's actually in the body of the crab. They take it out. You mix it up with a lot of spices. You make a stew. And, and you put it... And no, no, just spices. Uh, it's like a dry. It's, it's fairly oh, dry. Oh, okay. So you mix it up with a number of spices, and then you it, to serve it, uh, you, put it in the, you put it back into the crab back. And uh, sometimes bake it as well, and it's it really is delicious. It's a delicacy here and in Jamaica. It's, uh, so basically, it's eleven o'clock at night. Where's Peter? He's he's land crab hunting. That's right. Okay. He's, he's out getting crabs. Okay, now there are a lot of touristic things here in in, in the Cayman Islands. One, of course, is Stingray City. Yeah. Right. I've done it. I had a great time, but I you know when you see the big cruise ships coming in and the hundreds of people showing up with peas in their hands to give the stinger, I, I I get a little worried about that. Have they have they been able to manage that a little bit better? They've really become very aware of how how valuable the stingrays are to the Cayman Islands and um, preserving them and making sure that obviously the generations to come have got that uh, as well. So what they're doing now is that they've, they're restricting the number of people that can be on a boat, the number of boats that can be in the area at a certain time um, and certain days of the week. I mean, obviously, in midweek when there are cruise ships in, there are a fair number of... Um, of boats out at the sandbar where people go to see the stingrays. Right, and then there's one stinger right there with a sign saying, go find land crabs. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> that's, that's really been operation. Yeah, yeah that's been operation Stingray City. Yeah. Um, but on the weekends, it's not, it's not as busy out there. Now, one of the hidden gems of, of, of the Caymans, for me at least, has been the gardens. Mm -hmm. All right, and people don't understand. They're at the resorts, they don't see it, but you do. Yes. Well, I mean, if you go out to... If you drive out to the outer districts, and I mean, this is something I would recommend to anybody, and I mean, I'm sure you would agree that no matter where you go in the world, go out and have the local experience. Absolutely. Stop going to the places that are created specifically for tourists. Absolutely. Uh, I see people getting off, off the ship and going heading straight to a hard rock or heading straight to somewhere familiar, and, that, and that's it's, fine. It's, it's, to me, that's like ridiculous comfort level stuff. You get out of your comfort zone. Exactly. So go off and, and see and really have the local experience. So if you go off So where do you take people? Um, if I go into the outer districts, normally what I would do is I'm going to go along the coastal road. Um, so the South Coastal Road, which is a beautiful drive, um, because for quite a lot of it, I mean, you are right, the sea is right there. It's, it's not, you know, co covered by shrubs and bushes and so forth. Right. So you're going to go along there and then uh, go to the Queen Elizabeth II Botanic Park, which is amazing. We have blue iguanas there, which again, endangered species. Um, this is the only place in the world where you can find them. They're beautiful. So go around the gardens there. And then uh, we might stop for lunch at one of the local restaurants or then we go back out to the coast, um, head to East End, maybe go to Tucker Restaurant, which is run by Ron Hargrave, a bonkers Australian. Um, so stop there. Um, he, he feeds the frigate birds at about three in the afternoon. They come down, take food out of his hand, and then just go out to Rum Point, which is, I mean, for me, Rum Point's been around since I was a child. It's obviously changed and been developed um, as I've is grown up. Is there alcohol involved at Rum Point? 
It's known for its mudslide. Now, here's the word. The, the word is, and I think it actually says this on Wikipedia, which is, you know, always to be trusted. Always, always to be trusted. Correct. Always correct. Always yeah. to be trusted. Yeah. Thank you. Um, is that Judd, Judd from, uh, from Rum Point Club made, created the mudslide. He created the mudslide drink. Okay. Which, as we all know. Tell me. Is... Um, is a heady mixture of vodka and Baileys and Kahlua and sometimes ice cream or sometimes not. Hello? Uh, this is your captain speaking. There is absolutely no cause for alarm. It's a motor running. Head out on the highway. Looking for adventure. I always like to talk to the locals to figure out everything we don't know, what's not in the guidebook, what's not in the brochure, the things that are happening outside the resorts. And my next guest knows all about that. He's the president of the University College of the Cayman Islands, and he's also the author of The Cayman Islands in Transition. Roy Biden, how are you, sir? I'm doing great. And you, Peter? I'm doing even better now that you're here. Um, you know, when I first came here, you know, there was a Hyatt Hotel here. It's not here anymore. But when I first came here, that's where you stayed. Um, and then people said, well, you really should go, go away from this beach and check out you know, Little Cayman and then Cayman Brock. And I did. And it was like, wow, my eyes opened, right? Um, but the islands have been in tr transition since day one, especially in terms of development, because they're so popular. That is exactly so. And um, many people believe that they're not really benefiting as much as they should from the development. So I describe Caymanian society as a duality. They're really two societies. And um, certainly, if one would listen to the talk shows frequently, one would get this rather easily and early. I was just listening a while ago before uh, setting up in my office. I was listening to a very topical conversation, and they were talking about who owns the Cayman Islands, which is really one of the things that I've set out to discover in my writings and in my study of Caymanian society. Well, of course, originally the, the, the Great Britain, the, the, the British would claim you were the colony. Yes, of course. Yes, of course. But uh, we are speaking uh, not so much uh, politically as we are speaking economically. You know, so um, the, 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 the facade is impressive. But when one scratches the surface, um, one would be pretty hard put to not to admit that there is really another Cayman, another side to Cayman. Which is? Which is the people who are struggling to keep up. Uh, people who uh, have challenges with economic inequality, uh, income inequality, social inequality. And so these are the people that I, I write about in the Cayman Islands in transition, the challenges they have. These are also the people I caricature in my short stories. But when you think about it, my experience having come here this many years is that the Caymanians are an open people. Of course, yes. They, they don't really suspect, they don't have suspicion about outsiders. They've lived with outsiders for a long time. Um, but what, are the, what is it that they want? Well... I, I think now that um, they have a sophisticated standard of living, uh, they realize that they may have made trade-offs that they were not prepared to make. Some of, their, some of their freedoms, some of the choices that they would make. We were accustomed to being a laid-back people. Now we get caught up in the same jet set of, I call it the modern madness. And uh, people are stressed out because of mortgages, because of all these expenses and stuff that they have to pay. And they say, is this really worth it? And worse now, they, that, that we have a widening gap of income inequality. And uh, I, I think particularly the young people are challenged by these things. I, I talk to my students frequently, and they're concerned about, sir, will we get employment? when we have graduated from college. So really what you're talking about is sort of like the negative side of a tourism economy. Precisely, precisely. And then how do you balance that to maintain all the, the, the cultural integrity? Yes. And the financial stability? Yes. That, that's, that's exactly the concerns of, of most of, of the people, uh, the, the rank and file people. That's their concern. That's their, their concern. 
So let me ask you this. For people who are listening to the show who've never been here before, my concern is that so many people will come and spend a great time, and they'll have a great time at a resort like the Ritz-Carlton, but they'll never leave the resort. They never leave the grounds, and they need to get out and see what the Cayman Islands really has to offer beyond just Stingray City and, and, and an experience, an interactive experience with, with marine life. So where would you advise me to go that's not in the guidebook, that's not in the brochure, that's going to give me an authentic, genuine uh, Caymanian experience? You know, um, I, I'd, I'd advise you to, to visit uh, villages like uh, Bordentown, uh, East End, and North Side. And not named after you. Talk to the people. Well, that, that, <laughs> you said Bodentown. I said, you know. That, that, that's another story. Okay. A story for another day. Yeah. You know, and, and, um, and get to speak with the people. There, there is a very interesting exhibition mounted in Bodentown. It's mounted permanently, which gives the history of the Cayman Islands from the earliest settlement until now. And a lot of it is pictorial and graphical. And it's, it's um, managed by some ladies in Bodentown who are very, very, inf very informative. And I understand now that there's also one in West Bay. So these are the people that, that tourists need to speak with to get a great feel for the genuineness and the warmth and also the challenges of Kemanian society. And the history. And the history. Because at the end of the day, no great travel experience in my book can be a successful one without good storytelling. Exactly. Right? It's all about storytelling. And Cayman is a good storyteller. Uh, perhaps uh, the best in the world, among the best in the world. Really? Yeah. What's the one mythical story they love to tell? Well, the mythical story for tourists is the wreck, supposedly the, the wreck of the ten sails, where uh, Caymanians uh, rescued some prince, and the prince, in gratitude, said there would be no taxation in the Cayman Islands. That's, that's a favorite one, easily believable by tourists. <laughs> No taxation. That's storytelling. <laughs> that's storytelling. And yet you're, you're a country that has how many banks? Uh, well, at one stage they, they, they claimed they had 500, 500, 500 banks. So somebody believed the myth. I'm telling you, they did. They still do. <laughs> and then there's a knock at the door. Yeah, exactly. But the cool thing is when you go to the, the small towns, and I encourage people to, to listen to what you just said, that's when you hear the true folk tales that are still alive today. We have clearance, Clarence. Roger, Roger. What's our vector, Victor? Allied radio clearance, over. That's Clarence, over. Over. Roger. Huh? My next guest knows a little bit about that fun, as a matter of fact. She's also a legend here in the islands. She's also the author of Cooking and Laughing in the Cayman Islands, but the, the total title of that story is Adventures and Fun in the Kitchen with a Caribbean Family, and her name is Susie Soto. Hey, Susie. Hi. How are you? I'm okay. excited to be here. I'm excited to have you here. You know, you go back, I'm not going to say how uh, many uh, years. I'm 1963. Gonna... 1963. I'm a pioneer from 1963. Right. And, in fact, there was a club that you were hanging out then. Yeah, Tortuga Club. Yeah. It was a place we built uh, back in 1963. It was nine months, my hardest pregnancy. <laughs> <laughs> but, we, but, we opened no road, no electricity. Yep. But a lot of alcohol. Well, yeah, for the guests. Yes, of course. <laughs> <laughs> I had to try and keep saying because we had to keep the generators running. We've come a long. We've come a long way since then. Come a we? long way. Yeah, I know. A long way. But in terms of the actual cooking scene here, here we are at the Cayman Cook-Off. I mean, this is right up your alley. Forty-seven years, in the in the restaurant business. Some way first with a hotel, where I had to worry about three meals a day. And then um, in, in a restaurant business, I started the Crack Conk Restaurant in 1981. All right, but before we even go there, let's talk about the early days because oh, wow. today when we talk about the food scene, nobody thinks about sourcing because you can oh. source everything, <laughs> right? You can source anything today because it all flies in. If you wanted Maine lobster here, you could get it. It doesn't matter. In those days, what could you get? We had no milk. We had no pizza. We had powdered milk. We had, if it came in frozen, you'd have to shake it up because we would sometimes separate it was so we have a lot of good things i missed pizza that was oh gosh i missed pizza finally we had a little place up in west bay and i would drive an hour and a half to get there and take some of our guests to get a pizza that was a big deal <laughs> that, that was, was big a big deal, deal a big deal but today you can get anything yes 
oh, we get amazing things. In fact, our supermarkets and our, because of how our culinary um, scene has developed. I mean, it's created just, that market. It, oh, amazing. And we have uh, Frederick here from the Ritz. I just saw him outside. So we have some amazing chefs. In fact, two years ago, they gave me a, a culinary award, Lifetime Achievement Culinary Award. I said, you guys are crazy. I said, I'm a seat of the pants chef. I cook. I said, and I oversaw our cooking and everything, but I said... Um, yeah, but you were you were cutting edge at the time. Uh, cutting you had, edge, you had oh no, boy. You had no choice. Yeah. You had no choice. No, but I did create a lot of stuff, and I must say, uh, turtle steak, uh, we did turtle steak, but I kind of used like veal. It was sort of like veal. What? So we made You a, substituted? We made a you turtle steak. Oh, well, yeah. But <laughs> never, never uh, followed any recipe because I used... Coconut rum. I found coconut rum to be a great thing to, like, marinate the uh, turtle steak in. So what you're telling me is with enough coconut rum, everything tastes <laughs> everything good. Everything tastes good. Even <laughs> a, a chocolate cake mix, if you use about... Um, One part chocolate cake mix, five parts <laughs> coconut rum. <laughs> it makes it taste good. Regular rum doesn't. It ruins it. Now, even though you closed it in, in, or sold it in 2005, you started the Cracked Conk in 1981. Yes. What was special about that place? Well, we fe feature conch. We feature a lot of local food, but we featured it in different ways. In fact, the conch chowder, a lot of places have conch chowder. It's all red, but I, I don't care for the red. It's cutting. I, I'm with you. you I, I like I the like, I, I like New England clam chowder, Me. not Manhattan Well, there you go. So we're good. There you we're, go. We're, we're, That's we're, what I did. Yeah. And we just had some in the little Cayman. I was just there. I actually dove up four conchs, <laughs> and then we did a conch chowder. Creamy. Well, creamy. Creamy. There we go. Oh, yeah. And what bothers me is a lot of places have taken it back off the menu, but we started it here. We started doing it creamy. Why here. would they it take it off the menu? I don't know. I oh. don't know because it's a very good seller and it tastes really good. What was your signature dish? Conk. It was. Yeah, crack conk. And I mean, it has to be done properly. It has to be done pounded properly. You have to pound it. I mean, you really have, you to, have whack to pound it. You gotta whack it. it. Yeah, yeah. You gotta whack it a lot. You gotta whack it, <laughs> but if you slice it, when oh, you I have get so many conch, lines I can use right now, which I'm not <laughs> gonna. Too. I know. Uh, okay. If you slice it in half, like like, uh, and then whack it, it's easier. But um, my husband was very good at that, and then actually uh, giving away a big big secret, uh, they've got tenderizers that conch tenderizer. Uh, no, no, it's called a hamburger uh, helper. Meat. No, <laughs> it's called for. People use it for steaks in, in the States, and, and we had a machine. But I could tell if they ran it through once, because you had to run it through three times, hold up the conch so you could see it like a sieve, and ours would be very tender and juicy and delicious. And then we had conch fritters that were amazing. See, now conch fritters are the really good sort of a uh, yeah, but thousand Yeah, a lot of people there. use too much yeah. flour. If you use too much flour, you're, forget you're, you're about it. You're breading it too much. Yeah, yeah. forget about yeah. it. <laughs> <laughs> forget about it. Now, you know, the Cayman Islands, of course, being the colony, the old colony of Great Britain, you had some yes. royalty visiting all the time. Oh, yes. Yes. Um, Prince Charles um, was at Tortuga Club many years ago. And, uh, yes, he was a wonderful guest. A lot of fun. Did he have the conch? Yes. Did he, he like had, it? Did he like it? Yes. He certainly liked it. <laughs> <laughs> But when people he liked the dancing afterwards later in the evening. Oh, he so, got wild. Yeah. He got Conk, wild. No, no, he didn't get wild, no. But uh, conch and lobster, I came with three girls, and then I had two sons because conch is an aphrodisiac, supposedly. So that's why Prince Charles <laughs> I had two up. sons uh -huh. <laughs> after I ate a lot of conch and lobster. Oh, God. We won't go there. <laughs> but when people come to visit you, where do you yeah. take them today that's still authentic? Came I put them in the car. And off we go. And there's some little restaurants along the way. I um, can't remember the name. One of them was Apollo 11 out uh, in the in uh, north side. And then there's uh, other little ones. There's a fish shack in West Bay. Um, the, the little places. There's Welly's Cool Spot. And, and These you, are and, little, and, little, and little, little places, yeah. and they do the local dishes. Like what? what and, kind of local, uh, oh, local? my gosh. Uh, turtle stew. Uh, Conk stew. We we used to do conch stew all the time. We had eleven conch dishes, and um, it's missed. But I mean, when the newer chefs have come in, 
from abroad, they have sophisticated the food a lot. Mm. So, so that's been super, super great what they do with it. But sometimes, uh, you know, so, some of the older restaurants, and then they do the red conch chowder. Well, we're not uh, talking about nah, that because we don't nah, like nah, that. Nah, nah. Nah. And then the, the marinated conch is great. And that is that the secret to the marinated conch. You get it fresh, and you slice it razor thin. And some places chop it up and stuff. They screw it up a little bit. <laughs> you gotta slice it razor thin. And then I always thought the secret was we put ice on it because it kind of like gets that muscle, uh, like it, it it makes it crispier. Mm. If that makes any sense, it does. It does. crispier. But anyway, and then you add the th- and and then. Pick pepper here is wonderful. And scotch bonnet sauce, you had that if you like heat. If you don't like heat, look out. <laughs> but scotch bonnet sauce is very good, and a lot of Caymanians use that on their conch chowder, turtle, everything. And when the chefs come here to visit, let's say for the cookout here, yeah, can you educate them in terms of the Caymanian approach? <sighs> Not really. <laughs> <laughs> Being honest. Really? Unfortunately, I have a habit of being honest. No, so I'm uh, always in the I, hot water. I appreciate it's that. It's called hoof and mouth disease. No. <laughs> no, but listen, you have to maintain that culture. Yeah, right? I, I agree. So yeah. somebody has to hand it down to somebody yeah, else. Yeah, I'm hot on that subject. Good. Hello and welcome to Alaska Flight 438. We'd like to tell you now about some important safety features of this aircraft. The most important safety feature we have aboard this plane is the flight attendants. Please look at one now. I always like to ask the locals because I never presume that I know everything. I know just a, a tiny bit. And my next guest knows a lot. Uh, the former head of Radio Cayman, Loxley Banks, how are you, sir? Good morning. Yes, and how are you? Very good, very good. I mean, what I see changing here um, is I don't see outrageously rampant development. Um, but I do see something that I think a lot of other Caribbean islands should benefit from which is a, a concern and a, an almost an obsessive concern with the environment to make sure that, that you know, because if you lose that, there's no reason to come here anymore. Well, there is uh, quite a bit of concern here for the environment because, like you just mentioned, that's what people come here to see, our environment, and uh, the people, of course. And, and you mentioned you haven't seen rapid development, but I think... Well, relatively, you have. Yes, if... If you've seen what's happened here, let's say over the last, I'd say, my lifetime, 66 years, then, or 76 well, years. you got so, me there. Yeah, okay, yeah. you got me. Okay, okay. <laughs> little math there. <laughs> 76 years, then you, you would consider it rapid development. Of course. But, I mean, yes, there's development in terms of hotels. And I believe this is still the largest hotel on the island. I uh, think so, yes. Um, but... But you're also seeing some more guest houses. You're seeing uh, more condos. You're seeing more residences that are going to the Airbnb pool. Uh, and that's, that's changing, of course. But what I'm talking about is just the, the commitment from, from the people themselves and the government to maintain what really makes the Cayman Islands great. Well, I think you hit on, on a very critical subject there. And uh, I think what makes the Cayman Islands great, what has made us great, has been its people, its environment, and what we are all about. But today, uh, in a population of about 66, maybe 70,000, not 66,000 people, probably not more than 30%, if that high, are what you could call indigenous Caymanians. So this is a very mixed society. We've got, they say, about 110 different nationalities roaming the streets here. I think you have 110 different banks. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's a lot of banks here. Now, when I was growing up, there was only one bank. How many banks now do you think, just as a guess? Well, it's in the hundreds of, hundreds of banks, right. re- registered banks uh, really operating on the ground. As for to the public, there's, I guess, probably 12 or 13. Right. But uh, of the registered banks, that's way up there. That's a big deal. Um, 
one of the things, of course, that defines the islands are the beaches. Uh, and you have so many. I mean, we talk about Seven Mile Beach right here. Yes. Right? And that's really been the same. Basically, yes, the, the same, but there, there are impinging environmental things that are, that are happening that could change that beach. In fact, there's some removal of rocks right now down the way here that a lot of locals are concerned that it could vary the flow of the currents and the beaches could just, you know, part of the beaches could just be eroded. Be eroded. Yeah. We have, listen, I live on an island in New York off the coast of Long Island, and erosion to us is a vital concern. Uh, because, and it's not hurricanes, it's March storms, it's winter storms that, that, that kill you. Um, but when you think about the development here and the changes here, um, the cleanliness of the beaches has stayed. I, I don't find dirty beaches in, in the Cayman. No, the, um, the environmental department have beach cleaners that keeps these beaches clean, and we as Caymanians hopefully will do our, always do our part to, to help keep the beach clean. When I swim down on the western end of Seven Mile Beach on Henning Beach, uh, I clean it every time I go there. If I see a, a can or a bottle or something, oh, sure. you know, pick it up and throw it in the trash. Now, what about, now, of course, a lot of people, when they first come here, they're coming in a cruise ship, and they always take them out of Stingray City, right? They always go out there to see the, the Stingrays. I remember the first time I went in the water with the Stingrays, it was an amazing experience for me because I'd always been led to believe they're going to hurt me. And you just, they gave you these little frozen peas. Yes. They're still doing, right? They're still doing the oh, frozen yes, peas. Yes, okay. Yes, yes, yes. And you put the frozen peas in your hand and you get in the water, which of course is mild and warm and wonderful. And the stingrays have figured it out. And they basically just come right up to you and they, they, they kind of glide around you. They rub up against you and they, and they just suck the peas right out of your hand. It's, it's, it's amazing. Well, you know, that has evolved over the years. You've been... I, I think the stingrays have unionized, by the way. I, I, think, I think there may have been unionization going on. I don't know. <laughs> they probably, there, there's they're... like a minimum pee requirement now. <laughs> Loxley Banks. You've been listening to Peter Greenberg Worldwide. Catch us each week as we broadcast from a new location somewhere around the world. If you like Ion Travel with Peter Greenberg, you can listen early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. Prime members can listen ad-free on Amazon Music. Before you go, tell us about yourself by filling out a short survey at Wondery.com survey. The Hargan women seemed to have it all. We were blessed. My mom was amazing. But detectives would soon discover... Inside the house, there were the bodies of two women. A story of betrayal you would struggle to believe if it wasn't true. I am just praying to God, this is a sick joke. From 48 Hours, this is Blood is Thicker, the Hargan family killings. Listen to Blood is Thicker, the Hargan family killings, wherever you get your podcasts. Survivor's back and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast. And we have a twist, a new co-host, the winner of Survivor 45, D. Valladares. Hi! Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcast.